So needless to say, it's been a, uh, an interesting week, <laughs> a tough week, tough week in, uh, all, all over, all over the world, in our country, in our state, in our city, especially Thursday and Friday as, you know, all the, I guess, official decisions came down of at least hitting our city in the, by Friday that you know, schools were closed and for the next month and a lot of businesses closed, public gatherings not allowed of 250 or more, big events canceled, and uh, even into our own home, we had a, we had a day of mourning, uh, especially my, my middle son, as he was supposed to play his championship basketball game yesterday, and, and uh, you know, and that's just one little example of, I know all of us, just, oh, the, both the, just the, the juxtaposition of emotions of where all oh, the, the interruption and the disruption and, and then seeing the media and, and, and what, do you, what do you believe and what's real and that you see things that are very real and we have good uh, folks from our church family with, with real concerns who are not here because they've got weakened immune systems or, or they're older and, and don't want to end up like what we're seeing in Italy and just all over the map of how do you take all that in, what's real, what's not, what do you believe, what's hype, what's a good response, what's healthy, what do we do as followers of Jesus? And so I just want to speak to this morning just to some real, in some senses, basic things of as our world is in a bit of a, a, a panic in some places, a, a maybe a possible hysteria in others, uh, and, and then there's real issues that are going on with with health crises in various places. It hasn't hit southern, uh, southwest Riverside County, but that doesn't mean that we don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks. And so what, how do we just anchor ourselves in the Prince of Peace in this time? And so I just want to, in some ways, spend some, some time meditating on some of the simple truths of God's word, and then we're going to just be, pray, be praying for our church family, for our city, for our nation, close with one more worship song of, of declaration. But one thing that uh, is clear in this time is that these, these moments in our life, I mean, I even had a, a very well-respected uh, pastor, friend of mine, who, who said, this is going to be a moment in our history that we look back on where everything changed. And I'm like, wow, that seems, that seems, that seems a little bit extreme that seems a little bit overblown but at the same time you know what we we haven't been through it all yet we don't know exactly what this is all going to look like but what we do know is that in times of of tumult in times of uncertainty in times of crisis there is real opportunity and first and foremost I want to focus on opportunity in our own hearts these are opportunities when God can become more real. Sometimes in the status quo of everyday life, especially if things are kind of generally going well or comfortable, it is easy to not actually depend on God and not actually be living from a place of faith and not actually having to be having to wrestle through, what do I really believe? And how is that in not just an out there abstract idea, but how is that transforming how I'm living today? 
So there is opportunity in times of question and uncertainty to really let that be a moment and say, what's authentic about my faith? And that can be extremely healthy. And I, I think back to the early church when it was illegal to meet in public. There were no public gatherings. There were no church buildings. There was no publicly owned property. And, and there was a persecution level that was incredibly high. It was actually, if you outwardly confessed your faith in Jesus, you were putting your life on the line. You could die. And in that context where the cost of faith was high, the church absolutely flourished. By the end of the third century, or excuse me, the beginning of the third century when Constantine made it a, a, a politically advantageous thing to become a Christian, let's just not talk about what happened after that. <laughs> Before that, the church absolutely flourished to the point that from you know, 10, 12, 120 followers in 30 AD to most historians believe more than half of the Roman Empire had become Christian underground under threat of death in three centuries. And I look at that, and at times it's like, wow, how is that? And you get to the words of Jesus who said, like, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to lay down your life for me in order to encounter me in a real way. And so there's some times where there's a certain appeal of when we have situations where we've got to check how real our faith is, that's healthy. That, that it's, it's good. <laughs> it's good for us to have to let our faith be tested so that God can refine it and it comes through as gold. And I think of even today across the world in countries where being a follower of Jesus has cost, where there's persecution, where it's illegal, the church is actually flourishing in a powerful way. And I'm not in any way saying, I want to be persecuted or I, I want Christianity to become illegal. I'm just saying, in the moment where there's that disruption and challenge, there is opportunity. There's opportunity for us to say, what am, what am I actually anchoring my soul in right now? And that's really a question for our whole culture. And you see it. In times of difficulty, that question gets asked to all of us. What are you anchoring your soul in? And so I want to, this morning, just take us back to a few very basic aspects of our life with God. And then just trust that as we pray, God's Holy Spirit wants to do some things this morning. And he wants to do some things for us, in us, and he wants to prepare us to be those lights that can go out into the world and help the world encounter the Prince of Peace. So our, our first text for this morning is a, a very, very cool one. First, or excuse me, first Hebrews, the only Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 18 to 20. We already sang about this a bit. But it's such a great scripture. And an even more than just the scripture, it's a truth about our soul. That in difficult times, 
there is opportunity to do right and hear what it says. Verse 18, the context is talking about the promises that God has made for salvation. And it says, so we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So there's a couple things in this verse that stick out. First and foremost, very interestingly, the first thing it talks about is when we who have fled for refuge. It's a very normal response for humans in time of danger to flee. To want to get away from the crisis, to want to get away from what is scary, to take refuge in something. And that's kind of the healthy challenge that every single person on our planet is being faced with right now. That question is, what is anchoring your soul? You're running to something. And the good news of Hebrews 6 is saying, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Not all anchors are created equal. Not all anchors are sure and steadfast. And it is times of challenge that are going to expose the strength of your anchor. And if, if it is the, the rising, if, if our souls are anchored in the, the rising and falling circumstances, outward circumstances of life, whatever they may be, then we will be ones who are tossed to and fro like a ship without a decent anchor in the middle of a tempest. And yet, this is that great encouragement. We don't have to be that, regardless of the outward circumstance. And Hebrews is written to one of those underground churches, if you will, that is being dramatically persecuted. That's where that uh, verse comes about go and visit those in prison. It's talking about because many of you within the church family are, have been put in prison. They've been taken. They've, they've stormed in to the gatherings and put you in prison. Put many of your fellow friends, brothers and sisters in Christ in prison for their faith. And so within that context, the writer is reminding people, so what's the anchor in the storm? a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And there is no greater anchor for the soul. There is no superior anchor than the reality of knowing that you have peace with God. That's what he's getting at. There's an anchor to the soul, which is that you have a hope that enters into that inner place behind that curtain. So there was that, that's a reference to the temple, where before Christ, there was this, this curtain that separated people from that holy place with God, to where you could dwell in God's holy presence. There was a sense of you're shut out. We're not worthy. We're not there. We're not safe. We're not protected. We're not inside. We don't have peace with God. And so this verse is referring to that anchor of the soul, that hope, the greatest possible anchor we could have is the hope 
that that veil is torn and we are now allowed inside, our soul can have peace with God. That's the anchor that every person needs. That's the starting point. Romans 5.1 says it like this. Since we have been justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. That is the number one anchor for the soul. That's the number one superior, can't even be matched by any type of outward circumstance or outward optimism or outward good news or outward peace. It has to start with the reality that we've been allowed to go through the veil. We have been made right with God. We have peace with God. And that will flow into everything else. Peace with God leads to peace with life. Romans 8 goes on to say it like this, as Paul is still continuing to build his, his encouragement, if you will, about peace with God and, where it, and what, what it looks like, the fruit of having our soul right with God. He goes on to say, Romans 8, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You who did not receive the spirit of slavery, to, or excuse me, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That suffering that's mentioned there, that's the testing. Do we really believe it? So in Christ, there is this anchor for the soul because you have peace with God, but look to where this, this peace is going. When you have peace with God, when your soul is made right with God, Paul is saying, and now you can have a confident peace about your present and your future because the most important question in the universe is answered, which is for you, your most important question is, are you right with God? And when you have peace with God, it actually breeds a confidence about your present and your future because you know those are both secure in the most fundamental and important ways, Paul goes on to say, which is that you are a beloved child of God and therefore you are an heir of God. That's an incredible statement. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. So that's kind of that question about what is going on in my future. Is my future secure? And Paul says, when you've got peace with God, your future is so abundantly secure, you are actually lined up to, to, for an inheritance of everything that God has in his kingdom is yours. It's coming as a beloved child. That is your unshakable faith. That is your reality. That's your coming future, and therefore that is your present confidence. 
in, in typical fashion, the Bible says if you want to fix the outward circumstances, the first place you go is in here with God. It's saying you don't start out here. You start in here. And so that's just a hugely important, simple, basic, but important reality to always come back to. And in these times of challenge, in these times of fear, in these times in some ways panic, it's a healthy opportunity to say, what is anchoring my soul? What's the deepest, most important anchor that I've got? And if, if, if you are feeling that, that collective uncertainty, which it's, wow, it's hard not to unless you just completely stay off of any type of communication, which at this point is probably not a good idea. But there's that collective uncertainty that very quickly becomes this kind of collective fear of the future. If you feel that, I believe God's word first and foremost says, hey, that's okay. But I don't want you to have to stay there. Philippians says it like this in 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say your, again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, which is an interesting word, and interesting how it's connected to anxiety and fear. And let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The good news, there's so much good news about this, but one that just to start with is if you are anxious, that's okay. You're not the first person. <laughs> Paul wouldn't write this if anxiety and fear wasn't an, an issue in the Philippian church. So it's good news because as Christians, we don't have to be pretenders. Now, if you're at a place where you feel so anchored in the reality of you are right with God and your present and future is so secure that you don't feel any anxiety, great. That's, okay. That's awesome. Praise God and be thanking God and praising God. But you know what? The Bible also says, hey, if you're not there yet, that's okay too. If you feel anxious, that's why he's writing to this group of radical, awesome believers who are putting their neck on the line just by gathering publicly in Jesus' name, and yet they've got some anxieties. They've got some fear. So Paul's writing to say, hey, that's okay, but God's, God's heart is you don't have to stay there. God has something better. And so it's this great encouragement that we don't have to settle and just stay there. His good news, I love this, what he says. The first thing he says, the Lord is at hand, right here within your reach. Right there, you can reach out and grab him. Don't be anxious because the Lord's at hand. But look at this exchange. It's just so authentic. It's so real. He's saying, so God wants to make an exchange. If you're feeling it, if you're feeling that stress, know that the Lord is at hand. And so here's what he says. Just bring it all to him through prayer, through supplication. Let those anxieties be known. 
Let those fears be known. Be real about it. Don't pretend they're not there if they're there. And then from there, what does he say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, meaning it doesn't make sense in the natural. There is a supernatural thing that God wants to do. And what does he want to do? He wants to give you his peace, the peace of God. It's God's peace. God is not scared of the future. God is not feeling anxiety. God has no fear of any outward circumstance. And so he's wanting to transfer that supernatural perspective into us when we bring our very natural, normal fears to him. And this could apply to any time in life you're anxious. What's consistent in God's word and powerful is God's word is saying the outward circumstances are not the condition of our inward peace. That's why he's saying it's a supernatural. It's, it's, it's surpasses understanding, meaning before the outward circumstances even necessarily change, when we come to God and God does his supernatural work of the Holy Spirit renewing our minds, filling us with God's peace, then we can carry and walk in a peace that from the outward perspective doesn't make sense because the outward circumstances haven't necessarily yet even changed. So it's just good news. And it's, that's very consistent with that same perspective that Paul was speaking earlier about having peace with God. That's where it starts because that leads to your identity as a beloved child that leads to the promise of your future being so wildly secure that in the present moment, there's a way to carry peace. And so we're going we're gonna to pray in a little bit, but I want to just encourage all of us that if today, in that moment, you need that, God's right here. God is at hand. And in the coming weeks, if you need that, that promise is there. And this is where God gets to become more real. This is where God's power, God's supernatural goodness, his promises to be what we can't be, God wants those to become more real to us. That's the good news of in this scary, fearful situation. That's where we get to grind out these realities of what does it look like to kind of to, to, to live at another level, to live in the way that the Bible is talking about. And this is not nonsense. I mean, this is not, oh, it's just this magic. It's a piece that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense. I mean, these are real people that were actually putting their life on the line because of their belief in God. This is written by a guy, Paul, who was killed for his faith and was willing to die. I mean, these aren't fake people. This is, these are the, the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and their testimony that God is supernatural. And he wants to be drawing us near so that we're beginning to live on more and more of that higher level where God's spirit is making a difference in how we live.
And as we do that, and as we do it today and tomorrow and every day that it's needed, I mean, if you're feeling that extra fear and anxiety, bam, right here. And even if not, it's so important to be anchoring our hope, our peace, our future in Christ every day anyways. So as we do that, then God's word is really clear. When you're experiencing his peace, when you are experiencing his hope for your future, your confidence, your confidence in who he is and your future in him, then now your job description changes. You got to share the Prince of Peace with the world around you. When Jesus looked upon the world that was constantly tossed to and fro by circumstances, by these outward circumstances that are hard and difficult, his response, his first gut-level instinct response was compassion. Matthew 9, 36 to 38, Jesus says, or it says about Jesus, excuse me, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors, laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You see that twofold piece right there. His first gut response is compassion, and then his second response is to his disciples. So if you're in a good place, go be the solution. Go share the Prince of Peace if you've got him. And I think that's a beautiful, powerful, important example to share that same heart. God, send us out into the harvest amongst those who are harassed and helpless, hurting, lost, fearful. May we be ambassadors of the Prince of Peace. And inherent in this verse is Jesus is also tapping on the reality of we shouldn't be surprised when we see a world full of fear. That's what we should expect, actually, in hard times. That's just what is normal. The passage we read in Romans reminds us that if we don't have Christ, the default position of the human soul is going to be, you're going to be a slave to fear. He said it like this, Romans 8, 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear you have received the spirit of adoption as sons other places in Romans 8 says so you've been set free so if Christ is not the anchor of our soul giving us peace with God or if you look out in the world if Christ is not anchoring souls and bringing them peace with God and according to the Bible the default position is that people will be, probably unknowingly, but they will be slaves to fear. And that's because we are made for God. When you see fear, you see a soul that's made for God, but disconnected from its source. What the soul needs 
every human soul on the planet needs more than any good circumstance or well-wishing or optimism about the economy or having their favorite politician being in office. What the soul needs more than anything else to actually have peace is peace with God. So the Bible's perspective is really clear. We should expect. We are going to see people We are going to see fear abounding because the default position is that we are slaves to fear until we meet the Prince of Peace. And the enemy of our souls is going to love to play on this. And so a healthy challenge for us is to position our hearts if we're connected to the Prince of Peace and feeling that peace to then position our hearts as Jesus did, which being his gut-level response when he saw people in slavery to fear was compassion. When people are freaking out in various ways, it's he didn't pronounce judgment upon them. He didn't pronounce condemnation. He didn't look for an opportunity to belittle them or rant at them, but he saw his father's heart and he lived it out, which said they're like sheep who who just have no good shepherds. They're harassed. They're helpless. They're being lied to. So as we anchor our soul this morning and every day in the Prince of Peace, let's see that current unrest around us as a golden opportunity to pass on the Prince of Peace. The Apostle Peter said it like this, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Which is really interesting coming from Peter because he is the most not gentle and disrespectful disciple in all of the 12. I'm serious. That's not a joke. It's just the Bible's honest. On his own strength, the guy is an ungentle jerk. You know, know, it's okay. We can say that. It's in the Bible. And yet, Jesus loves him, chooses him, uses him, and transforms him. To where, I don't know how much further, 20, 30 years after Christ, as as Peter is continuing to grow with that heart of disciple, he can now say with authority to his very persecuted flock of people, be ready to share your hope with those who need it. Have that story available. And that's, that's that healthy challenge for us. Who's that person in your life who needs to encounter the Prince of Peace? And are you prepared? That's an interesting word. He says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So if you are living from your anchored soul in the person of the Prince of Peace, that's awesome. But the second piece is, are you ready to share it, though? Are you prepared to give an account? Are you ready? In other words, are you ready to share a story? Why do you have peace in these times? Why do you have hope in these times? Are you prepared to give a reason? And are you ready to share it with gentleness and respect? 
Interesting that Peter throws that in, but I like it because it's like that's so not him in his natural strength. But in his wisdom, he's learned. Very few people get beaten into the kingdom of God. So a challenge, a healthy challenge. Will you pray this week for the opportunity to share with someone, with gentleness and respect, the reason for the hope you have? Is there one person in your life who, you, as you've been seeing the world, maybe it's a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, will you pray? Will you pray for them? Will you pray for yourself? Will you pray for the opportunity to, in a genuine way, with gentleness and respect, pass on the Prince of Peace? I 100% believe that's Jesus' heart. That's what he would call us to. And the second, the second one other piece, it's crucially important. How else can we respond to a world in fear? Very, very simply, look for opportunities to serve those in need. When the world is in crisis, that's when the church is meant to shine. That's just truth. That's just all-time truth. If you are peaceful, anchored in Christ, anchored, your soul is hopeful. You know there's that strength about you. There's that confidence about you. And you ready to pass on the Prince of Peace. That is also meant to be done in very real, practical ways. Use that energy to serve others. Because there's people who are suffering. There's people who are really scared. And God's heart as we've talked about, is to see with compassion and serve. But there's some real specific things. I can think right now in our community, there are a number of, of seniors who are absolutely terrified to leave their home. And whether or not that is overblown by the media, that doesn't matter. <laughs> that does not matter. They're a real person who's a precious, precious, beloved creation of God who's scared to leave their house. That's a monumental opportunity as a peace-carrying, prince of peace-loving, anchored in Jesus, want to pass it on, opportunity, find someone to serve. If you know that senior, offer to buy him groceries. And simply go take them groceries and play cards with them because they're lonely and afraid. And, I, you know, a lot of it is not helpful by what they're hearing from the TV 24-7. That will terrify anybody. But the reality is that's, if that's where they're at, that's where they're at. And I already know. I've been talking to uh, city officials. This all came out. It's kind of late Thursday, Friday this week. And so we've got a good relationship with the city. I put the word out. So just so you know, thank you in advance. You're ready to go. But I put the word out to our city official friends, and I said, hey, consider Elevation Church ready to serve. Consider us available as you know, small little units that can go out and, and serve those who are going to be in need. And I've already had some great responses. There's not the action plan yet. But, for example, I know one thing, that there are low-income seniors in this community who depend upon going to Quesenaceros and picking up baskets of food every week. 
because they're on a fixed income from Social Security. And the city, based on the various things that are going on, has canceled that. That's not happening. So what, okay, well, old people that need to eat and don't have money are not getting their groceries. That's not cool. That's not okay. We, we the church, God's people, need to be ready. I mean, that's just kind of a default that in times of heightened fear and crisis, the church has to show up. We have to be there. I mean, that is literally like our purpose at that point is to show up and do something. Or what about the reality that now school is canceled for three weeks and four if you count spring break? And there are a number of low-income families in this area who their child goes to school every day and counts on a free meal from school. Or what do you just do about the reality of if there's two working parents and that are now just scraping by and can't afford to take time off of work and they have a child at home? Like what, how do you work that? So all that to say, this is an opportunity to just be ready. Be ready to serve. Be ready to share the Prince of Peace. So on a very practical level, be ready for an email coming as soon as we hear from city officials. And if opportunities are given us, we'll send them out. I mean, I'm honestly hoping for names and addresses. We'll go pick up the food and we'll just carry it in little teams, one or two, deliver some food, play some cards, say a prayer, represent the Prince of Peace. Not complicated. But those are opportunities. Those are the times when the church can shine. I mean, the church can always shine. But in crisis, when people are longing for the Prince of Peace, it's a beautiful opportunity to demonstrate the Prince of Peace. I mean, you can even go to the, the, the history books. And I referenced the, the early church. And they literally turned the world upside down forever. They changed church history by the willingness to be present in a time of crisis. In the second and third centuries in the Roman Empire, a, a separate plague swept through and decimated the Roman Empire. I mean, up to a third of the population was wiped out. Like that, that, I mean, if that's the United States, we're talking like one in three, like 150 million people or 130 million people, however many we have a good. 375 or something. Anyways, the Christians changed the world with this simple thing. Wow, and this is historically verified. You can read a book called The Rides of Christianity by a sociologist historian Rodney Stark. It's verified by many other sources. The Christians did something crazy in the face of this pestilence that was sweeping through. Most of the citizens of the Roman Empire just fled to the hills. They tried to get away. As we saw earlier in Hebrews, you're going to flee somewhere when you're scared. You're going to go to something. Sometimes it might just be a physical fleeing. So they were trying to get as far away as possible. At that time, the statistics say that it was probably about one in every 250 people were Christians in the Roman Empire. That's a very small percentage. It's way less than we have in our country. And the Christians, famously now, if you read the history books, they did something incredibly simple. They just stayed, and they just served. And they just practiced very, very basic 
nursing, what we would call nowadays, nursing and hygiene, washing hands, helping people bathe, those kind of basic hygiene things. And the effect that it had on the population was so dramatic. By the time of the end of the second plague, the, the, the statistics changed from every one in 250 people in the Roman Empire being Christians to every one in four. And from that point, that built, and this is very historically verifiable, from that point, it, there, a momentum had built where the church became this truly unstoppable force to the point where it, you know, by an underground, still illegal, became the majority of the known world of the Roman Empire. And it was simply the church was ready, anchored in the Prince of Peace, and ready to serve in practical ways. Ready to pass on the Prince of Peace with gentleness and respect. So we just want to pray. We're going to spend a little time praying. And we're going to close with one worship song. And so um, at this point, let's have the, the band come back up. They have just a couple simple prayers where I want to encourage all of us just to trust that the Holy Spirit wants to make a deposit in you. The Holy Spirit wants to encounter you. He wants to speak. He wants to reset your heart. Maybe he needs to re-anchor your hope in who Jesus is. Maybe he wants to bring to mind a specific person to serve. Maybe he wants to just prepare your heart to look for those opportunities where you can simply serve others and be a representative, an ambassador of the Prince of Peace. So if I have my wife come, up, come on up and ask Dr. Charles, we're each just going to pray a simple prayer, and then we'll close with a worship song that is a declaration of God's peace in us and through us. You ready, my good man? Okay. Lord, we ask for the fullness of your presence right now over this congregation to rain down your peace upon each one present here and each one who watches this video. Rain down your peace to your people over this valley, Lord. Your peace, shalom, a peace that includes healing, that includes well-being, that includes economic security, that in this time, normal activities, will be possible, that we will do what we feel we always do, but we will never test you, Lord, by doing those things that are not wise. And Lord, let your healing spirit touch those who've been sickened 
by this virus, to be the antivirus that will bring healing across this valley, across this state, and across this nation. And give us courage to be your people. Reflect your grace, your love, your hope, your joy to create a future for our valley and for our nation that will astonish the world as the world were astonished at those early Christians in the first, second, and third centuries. These things we ask, Lord, in faith, believing, and we all say, Amen. I just felt like I heard the Lord uh, say the word thankfulness. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to be thankful that as things are being taken away and precautionary measures are happening, there are many things um, that we could whine and complain about. And there are a lot of things, um, if you have your, your eye on the media, there are many things that we could partner with to be fearful with. But I ask that you would make us thankful, that we would be thankful for what we do have if we're stuck inside, and that we would be grateful for the people that we're stuck inside with, that we'd be grateful for the food, that we would look for opportunities to serve. Um, and Lord, help us to be thankful for uh, your word, for who you are, and for your power, and to be partnering with you in this time. That our, um, that our headlines, that the headlines that we partner with and say yes and amen to will be your headlines. That you are the Prince of Peace. You are our living God. And we claim your word. And I just declare your word, this word, over our city, over our county, over our nation, and over our worlds. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And Lord, we just declare that this is who you are, and we partner with you right now. We don't partner with fear or with chaos or with disease, because you are the Lord who came to conquer disease, and so we say yes and amen to you. God, we thank you, um, and I just want to release and declare over this, our, our world now, that where the enemy has sought to steal, kill, and destroy, we, will, we declare not only your health and healing in your word, that you are the God who heals all of our diseases, that there would be a great awakening in our world where Christians rise up, stand up, go out, and put their hands on others, and we see supernatural wonder 
which also looks like love and servanthood. God, we ask in Jesus' name that your, your body would rise up stronger and more filled with love than ever. And we thank you for the strength and the courage to partner with you so that we can step out, partner with you on mission to bring your power, your goodness, your spirit, so that we would see a great awakening in our day. Hope, your hope, your joy, your laughter, your medicine, filling people and filling our world with good news. In Jesus' name. Singing.